Welcome back, guys. We are here, episode six of the Boys Podcast. It's been about a week, but this is becoming a theme at this point. Um, shorthanded. Again. <laughs> hey, still get the job done. It's all that matters. Still, know? it's going to be me and Buddha today. Uh, Dolby's still, still at the beach. Time. And Carl is uh, taking the night off due to exhaustion. Um, so... Just going to be us two. We'll roll through some things. Um, hopefully next week, uh, at some point, we'll have all four of us here. So y'all can actually... The boys will actually be here in full strength. But that would be next week. Tonight is tonight. And uh, we're going to start off with something that none of us have notes for. I've decided, I was, I, I was going to do this anyway. But if you... Oh, no. If you had the... Top of the head. Yeah. If you had to start a franchise around a quarterback... Who would it be, Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson? Oh, I like Deshaun a lot. Only because, I mean, I think Lamar is like a generational talent. And, like, I think he's got a lot of athleticism and that's going to get him far. Only problem with that is it's going to get him far, but it's also going to open up a lot of opportunity for injury. He's already been very vocal about the fact that he doesn't like to be the quarterback that's going to slide, you know, get out of bounds. He's going to use all of his abilities. I like that in a quarterback, but it just opens up that opportunity for him to get hurt. And like I said, I'm not one of those people that thinks he's just a running back, like he's just a guy that can just run the ball. I think he's got a good arm, but Deshaun Watson's been in some of the biggest situations. Might not have been in the NFL, but I mean, he led a team that beat a power team in the national championship, which basically like dethroned them from college football. Um, And, I don't know if you saw that play against the Bills that he made in the playoffs where he literally, I don't know how he didn't get sacked, but he made that throw. And so basically win the game. I mean, that takes guts. I don't think Lamar can make throws like that. Granted, I think he can get to that point. I just don't, I haven't seen him as a passer yet enough to be able to do that. Yeah, uh, I would take Watson too, uh, just over the fact that Lamar can say that all he wants about not wanting to get out of bounds, but... Or slide. He's going to have to or he's not going to last in the league if I have enough experience with running quarterbacks to know this. If you don't learn to slide and if you don't learn to get out of bounds to avoid hits, you're not going to last long. If you need any advice on that, go ask. It's actually quite funny for Lamar Jackson because the guy he can go ask about that is currently backing him up in Robert Griffin III. RG3 is all about that with Shanahan's freaking offense, bro. Yeah. Which, the whole thing with RG3, that, I don't think any of that was his fault. That was Shanahan. Shanahan it was all ruined coaching. His, it was all Shanahan coaching, ruined but... his career in that playoff game. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would take Watson. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about first, actually. That's kind of why I brought him up. That's going to be our first all topic right, of man. the day. Um, so yeah, uh, Deshaun Watson was... Uh, Drafted 12th overall by the Houston Texans in 2017 out of Clemson. Uh, one of the other absolute mess-ups by the Chicago Bears in the 2017 draft. See, we talked about Lamar, we talked about Watson, and we're going to talk about Mahomes later. So we're going to talk about all three they passed on for Watson. Trubisky. Um, but yeah, uh, he spent three years at Clemson, uh, threw for over 10,000 yards and 90 touchdowns. He led them to two national championship games. With a victory in 2017, in three years as a starter, he was 33 and five, and in both national championship games, he absolutely torched 
Alabama's defense when both games were top five at the time. He's still one of the only guys to do this. Combined for both national championship games, he was 66 for 103 with over 800 yards passing and seven touchdowns. He also added 120 on the ground and a rushing touchdown. I mean, the dude threw for over 800 yards in two games against arguably the best defense in the country in back-to-back years. I said the only reason uh, the only reason they lost that first one was just due to um you know Alabama's coaching Alabama's coaching really um I, I, his rookie year he started six games went three and three before going down with a major knee injury which was an ACL tear if I remember correctly I think him and Carson wins both yeah I think it was them both, we'll both that out year. that year. Yeah. Um, he, threw for seven, back rookie quarterback. he threw for 1,700 yards and nine and 19 touchdowns and eight interceptions in six games. Had a 61.8% completion percentage. He also added 270 on the ground and two touchdowns in six games. Uh, and then his first full season in 2018, he uh, showed why he was taken. 12th overall. Houston actually traded up for him, just like Kansas City traded up for him at home. Seeing a topic here. Oh, and Baltimore <laughs> traded up for Lamar, too. Um, he started all 16 games in 2018 with 11-5 record, threw for over 4,100 yards, a 68.3% completion percentage, and 26 touchdowns. As good as he was, there's been this one caveat with Deshaun Watson, and it's nothing he can help. For the most part, it's his sack numbers. The man was sacked 62 times in 2018. Houston was arguably the worst offensive line in football that year. Um, Yeah, 62 times. Uh, last year, he started 15 out of 16, threw for over 3,800 yards, a 67% completion percentage, and 26 touchdowns, but he was sacked 44 times. So... And yeah, they tra- and yeah, it's and you see those numbers. They got better. Laramie Tunsil was a big part in that. Who they traded an absolute house for for the Dolphins. Um, but uh, he's played in three playoff games. He's one and two. Uh, thrown for over eight hundred yards, a sixty-three point five percent completion percentage, and five touchdowns. A loss to the Colts in twenty eighteen. A win over the Bills in the wild card round last year and the loss to Kansas City in the divisional round last year where they were up 24 nothing, and then Mahomes dropped 50 unanswered. But we'll talk about that later. Um, my outlook on Deshaun Watson this year, it's he's now running the program down there. Um, the offense is a lot different. DeAndre Hopkins is now in Arizona because he got traded for a bag of potato chips. Um... <laughs> Uh, they've brought in David Johnson, who makes a crap ton of money and hasn't produced in years, um, to an absolutely crowded running back room as is. Brandon Cooks is being was brought in along with that. Brandon Cooks was brought in from the Rams to go along with Will Fuller, who can't stay healthy, and Kenny Stills, who's kind of all right. So they don't really have a lot offensively weapon-wise. Uh, like I said, the line improved last year, but it's very poor. Uh, the man's been sacked 125 times in two and a half seasons, which is the most in the NFL over that span. Um, I think Deshaun Watson's great. I think that he's going to get paid a lot of money. 
But if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm running for the damn hills away from Houston, Texas. Um, it's the thing is, this thing is with Watson. Does he want to stick out, stick it out there, and try to do something, or does he want to go to another team that's going to treat him better than Houston has treated him? Because they've traded away his best target. They've pretty much refused to protect him outside of Laramie Tunsil. I'll give them that, and. You look at their defensive side of the ball, they've gotten progressively worse. I mean, you let up 50 straight in the playoffs. I mean, there's nothing that can be said about that. So, that's what I got on Deshaun Watson, and I'm curious to see what you think. Uh, dude, like, Watson's one of those players, like, he's always been fun to watch. And, like, the beginning part of his NFL career, people, like, a lot of people would just say, like, you shouldn't rely on, like, the things that he did in college. He's a completely different game. I don't care what league of football you're in, you're playing in. The way that he was, like, won games, he's controlled his offenses and, like, basically led them to win in any big-time situation. The national championship twice, you know, like, playoffs two out of three times. Those numbers pay off himself. The guy definitely has ice in his veins. Uh, I think if you get a good system around him and surround him with other solid players like himself, I think they're going to be solid. I mean, their defense, so Watt, he's been hurt just about every single season. My whole thing since. with J.J. Watt is that while he is a excellent defensive player, he can't stay healthy. Can't stay and then, healthy. Oh, and I didn't even mention this. They also traded away Jadavion Clowney last year. So yep. Clowney, Hopkins, God knows how many other people they've gotten rid of. But... I mean, with Watt, see, I feel like this year with their defense, I think they're going to be one of those sleeper defenses that really no one's going to notice until about midway through the season. I think they're going to do just enough because I think that uh, Deshaun's going to light it up. I mean, he's got Brandon Cooks. I mean, the dude's not the best receiver in the NFL by any means, but he's an elite receiver. You have multiple elite receivers on a roster. You can do pretty well. I wouldn't say they have multiple. Um, I think their run game, David Johnson, he's going to be hit or miss. I mean, he's shown that he hasn't been very reliable when it comes to injuries and with things of that nature. But, I mean, I still think he can still produce pretty solid amount of wins. And I think that if they put things together correctly, like, he took him to, like, when that team, when he played against the Bills this past season and, like, he had that crazy performance, he didn't have the best of defensive then either. But, like, it seemed like guys that you didn't really hear of were starting to show out. When a dude, it doesn't matter if your defense is bad necessarily. I mean, it can be bad. But the thing about a football game, a game of football is that, like, the tempo and the way it's played plays a big part in who wins and who loses. You got a guy like Deshaun Watson makes a play like he did against the Bills in a playoff game in the NFL, and he does something like that. That's going to light up and trigger any defensive player. And that's it. It just takes that little, it takes that snap of a play right there to change the whole entire amount of the game because the Bills should have won that game. The Bills should gonna be him out of the water in that game, but they didn't. Oh, I think they were but, seventeen nothing at one point. Um Yeah, yeah. But, so I mean here's, I mean I think you get you got it though. Here here's the thing. I love Deshaun Watson. The man has got ice in his veins. If you need it like if he didn't show that to you in college, like just go back and watch what he did at Clemson. Exactly. But he comes into Houston has played pretty damn well, I would say, over the last two and a half years. He's definitely the guy down there now. But it's like, 
if Houston doesn't do something, and if they keep trading away his help, I just don't see him sticking around. I mean, he's. I mean, the Texans offensively are going to have a drop off. You don't trade a top three receiver in the National Football League, in my personal opinion. You don't trade a guy like that and then stay with the same production or get better. You get productively worse when you trade away one of the best receivers in the NFL who doesn't drop the ball. And you traded him for nothing. I just, just, that just didn't make any sense to me. I, I don't get, like, I don't know what that front office was thinking for the Texans. They like, weren't? Especially, especially after the performance that, like, Deshaun made, like, Against the build, I'm gonna keep bringing it up because it's a big game. It's a big time game. Any playoff win like that's gonna be huge. But like he, pr- he's proven that he's a reliable quarterback when they need him. Why would you give away his best weapon for nothing? That's showing that you don't have confidence confidence in him. So you're telling me you're not gonna have confidence in a quarterback like that when he's two for three for the playoffs and it's what? So it'll be his what fourth year? Yeah, it'll be fifth his, year. Fourth it, it, year. It'll technically be his fourth season. Yeah, so, I mean, the dude's got a huge upside, and you're not going to build around him. I think it's bullcrap. I don't get why the Texans is doing that to him, but I, I still think he's going to win a decent amount of games. Oh, yeah, I think he'll be pretty much fine there. All right, that's Watson. Let's get to the news that everyone wants to talk about. And <laughs> why on earth of the shock... Of the week, this past week, when the Chiefs just came out and said, "Here you go, ten years, five hundred and three million dollars." Take the floor. This is yours, Biggie, dude. Twenty-four years old. Okay, Patrick Mahomes, twenty-four years old. The dude signed a piece of paper that guarant that doesn't necessarily guarantee him. I think he's guaranteed like one eighty. Yeah. With it, like injury wise, either way, he's signing a paper that has. A chance of making five hundred million dollars, half a billion dollars. And granted, I think athletes make high tier amount of money, and they deserve it with the amount of the work that they put in. The thing about it is, if Mahomes is this great player, which granted he's proven it, but if you're going to continue to be successful, you're setting that team up for failure for signing that contract. They didn't have the cap space at all to do anything with him this year that's why they did this whole imaginary money situation with the whole 500 million dollar thing 503 million that's all fine and great but when the time comes where they're actually going to have to pay him you're going to be seeing these practice squad players from the philadelphia Eagles start coming over there and start playing for him because they're not going to be able to afford anybody see here's the thing though and this has been proven mahomes is so good I see him possibly later in his career when they're having troubles affording people due to his massive amount of contract. Because I think in 2025, he's scheduled to make $59 million. <laughs> um, you and me and every sports fan who has watched football for as long as we've been alive, Tom Brady has been with the Patriots and has been competitive, winning championships every year. Tom Brady, the last... Four, five, six years has been with pretty much nobody's outside of Gronkowski up there. So, Mahomes is that damn good that he can carry a bunch of practice squad guys. I'm going to say this, and Doby was going to fight me. But if Carson Wentz can lead a bunch of practice squad guys to the playoffs, 
Patrick Mahomes can lead a bunch of practice squad guys to a championship. We just haven't seen him do it, though. No. I mean, Biggie, his success his successes came when he's got guys surrounding him, like Tyree Kill. Who's like the who's the running back they have that's like one of the second fastest player in the league besides Tyree Kill? Gosh, what is, I can't think of his name right now. It's not Michael Hardman, is it? No, it's not Hardman. Uh, I, be- I believe you're talking about Sammy Watkins. Yeah, no, well, I can, no, 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 I can't think of who it is, but that's beside the point. He's had a loaded, I mean, Travis Kelsey, arguably one of the best tight ends in the league, right in front of you. So you got a top-tier tight end, you got a top-tier receiver that no one can basically cover because he's faster than everybody else on the field. That's just the way it is. I mean, when you have that kind of speed on the field, you got a guy in open space, it doesn't matter what angle you have on him, he's gone. We proved that. I mean... I don't know. I, I think Patrick. I think he can do well. I, I just want to see what he does. Like I said, I'm I'm just really excited for the season. I hope it ends up happening. Um, there are a lot of big stories that need to play out, especially Patrick Mahomes with this big contract. I don't know. I mean, I think he definitely could do it. Like you said, not that you know distant on the Eagles whatsoever. Or Carson Wentz's ability, but like you said, a player like Carson Wentz can guy with his elite like talent. I think someone just as much as talent, if not more, is more. Patrick Mahomes, I think he could do the same thing. But you never know. It's it's football. So, I mean, and, I just want to – you never know. Yeah, and when it comes to, you know, when Tyreek wants to get paid and Travis Kelsey wants to get paid. They can't. Here's they the won't thing. be able to. They're all under contract for multiple years until in a couple years. And if they get Kansas City a couple more Super Bowls, I really don't think they're going to care. That's true. That's true. Um, just to go into a little background on him, um, he was drafted with a 10th overall pick in 2017 out of Texas Tech. We're, we're talking a lot about that quarterback class tonight. Um, the, also, the Chiefs traded up for him, too, which is a theme topic for the 2017 quarterbacks, and they all hit except for the Bears. Um, at Texas Tech, in three years, he threw for over 11,000 yards, a 63.5% completion percentage, and 93 touchdowns. He was the nation's most outstanding passer in 2016, and, he, and of course, he was awarded the Sammy Ball Trophy. Um, he threw for over 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns in his final season. The most prolific game, and if you were a college football fan, you will remember this game. It was Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma against Patrick Mahomes in Texas Tech. Just shootout, bro. In 2016. There was no defense to be found anywhere in the vicinity of this game. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't have Baker stats right here. I have Mahomes. Uh, they, they both went crazy that game, though. Baker, it was, it was think, just whoever had the ball last. Baker, I think, threw for over 500 yards and seven touchdowns. And Mahomes, he threw 88 passes. Let's just put that out there. He threw the ball 93 times for 734 yards and five touchdowns. He did throw an interception, which might have cost him the game, honestly. But the dude threw for 700 yards. I don't remember the score, but it was in, like, the 70s and 60s. It was ridiculous. Just going to say, y'all listening, if y'all have time and y'all like offense, go watch the highlights of that game. You will be pleasantly enjoyed with yourself. Um, It's not highlights. There's their defense. Well, it's offensive highlights. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, in his first year in the league, uh, he uh, sat behind Alex Smith for his rookie year, which I think is a lot that contributed to his success. That's one of the best things that he ever could have done. Um, and also being drafted by a team coach by Andy Reid, that helps too. Um, yes, yes. Andy Smith, excuse me, 
Alex Smith was traded to Washington that offseason. And then uh, Mahomes lit the he he lit the league on fire. Uh, Kansas City went 12 and four in his first year. He threw for over 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. The first quarterback to hit the 50 touchdown mark since Peyton Manning did it in 2013 when he threw for 55. Dog. Um, he was named the league's MVP. He was named the league's AP Offensive Player of the Year, and led the Chiefs to the AFC title game. And if it wasn't for a ridiculous. Uh, Roughing the passer call on Brady and a stupidity move by D. Ford stepping offside on interception. They would have been in the Super Bowl that year, too. Uh, he was first-team All-Pro, and that started to cement his status as the league's top QB, which there is no debate, by the way. Um, in 2019, he led them to an 11-3 record as he missed two games due to an injury, which was more than like, which was not even really his fault. It was his center's fault, actually. Uh, he threw for 4,000 yards and 26 touchdowns. Now, obviously, people are going to look at that set and go, oh, what an aggression. But I'm sorry. When you throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, you're going to have a regression. When yeah, you of course. are that good. Um, then came the playoffs last year. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, the Chiefs are so dominant. Well, they were down double digits in every single playoff. It's behind play. every single game, including but the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they, they were down 24 to nothing to the Texans. What does Patrick Mahomes do? Goes off. 50 unanswered points. 50 unanswered. They scored a touchdown every drive after the 24 to nothing deficit. They're one of the best teams that adjust mid-game to oh, like, mold well, that offense around Patrick here, Mahomes. something I've always said about Andy Reid. Andy Reid, if you're up at halftime, you're not safe. Yeah, never. That got proven. Then they come back the next week in the NFC title game and come out slow against Derrick Henry. And the Titans. And then they put all of... I mean, they were putting 7-8. Sometimes nine people in the box to stop Derrick Henry. Got they were forcing Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball. And, well, they ended up coming back off the 10-point deficit and winning the AFC Championship game by double digits. Uh, Super Bowl. Down by double digits in the fourth quarter with less than eight minutes. It was third and long, and Mahomes did Mahomes... A ridiculous off-his-back-foot throw to Tyreek Hill, which changed the whole aspect of the game. They ended up winning uh, by double digits and was Kansas City's first Super Bowl in decades and decades and decades. Um, But it's just no lead is safe when Patrick Mahomes is behind center. Um, He's played five playoff games in two seasons. He's four and one. He's got a he's got a Super Bowl ring. He won MVP last year. He's thrown won for Super Bowl MVP, didn't he? Yep. He's thrown for over fourteen hundred yards, thirteen touchdowns, and only two picks in five playoff games. Both of those interceptions came in this past year's Super Bowl, might I add. So you let's see. League MVP, check. League's best quarterback, check. Super Bowl champ, check. Super Bowl MVP, check. So now with this. Uh, also, this is this deal's technically 12 years because he's got the 10-year extension, but he still has two years left on his rookie deal. So, he's not even... He's getting paid like $5 million this upcoming year, but it'll go up mm-hmm. later we get on. Um, he's the best quarterback in the league. Um, he's arguably the league's best player in general. Um, I think Mahomes is fantastic. Um, I've always liked him. I think 
I never really, I didn't expect them to sign onto a ten-year contract worth up to five hundred and three million dollars, half a billion. I didn't either. But here's the thing: I mean, you have a once in a century type talent, and I say century, not generational, because Mahomes is. There is no. Mahomes is the next Brady. Mahomes is the next Rodgers. Mahomes is the next Patrick Mahomes. He's just an offensive machine. Like he just—he's one of the best players to just dissect every defense he sees. Brady's really good at it. Mahomes is even better at it. I think. Yeah. So Mahomes to me is what I would want in a quarterback, but you're not going to get Patrick Mahomes again. So that's how it is on Patrick Mahomes and his massive, massive, massive contract. So, uh, let's get into some college football news here for a second. Um, today, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, of course, do have a college football program to discuss, but we'll get to them in a minute. Um, today, uh, actually last night, the eight schools in the Ivy League, which would be Harvard, Yale, etc., announced they have canceled all fall sports for the upcoming 2020 season, which means all football in the Ivy League is done. For 2020. Now, with the Ivy League does not play postseason ball, so there's that to consider. The Big Ten and the ACC came out just a couple hours ago saying if there is a season, they will not play out-of-conference games, which means Oregon and Ohio State is canceled. Penn State, Virginia Tech is canceled. Um, so it'll just be ACC versus ACC and Big Ten versus Big Ten. Um, the only caveat would be Notre Dame, who's not in a conference, but they do play ACC schools six times in six games. From what I'm hearing, they are going to allow Notre Dame to play those six ACC games and then play their and play some and play their fellow independents. Um, if we have a season, which is to me is a 2080 of don't, um, possibly can move it to spring, but that would cause major issues with the NFL draft since the draft's in late April. I guess you can move it to mid-May or early June if you needed to. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see what your thoughts are about the see what your thoughts on are about when it comes to the Big Ten and the ACC kind of coming out and announcing this. But are you still there? Hold on, guys. We're having technical difficulties. You good? We're good. All right. Sorry about that. We're good. Yeah, sorry about that, man. All right, but, guys, um, a little lag. Correct me if, you're good. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I got an alert today from ESPN. I think they reported that the ACC plans on reporting and starting at September 1st regularly. Like, like it wouldn't affect the season opener. And they said that they were the first team out of, like, the Power Five to announce what they were doing. Um, but with the Ivy League schools, the only thing that's, that kind of like worries me about that is the, when this whole Corona thing broke out in the springtime, uh, the Ivy League schools were the first teams to say they weren't going to play. And it seemed like it was like a domino effect. Everyone just started canceling. Everyone started shutting things down. Um, it seems like when these teams, like, like you just mentioned it with Pac-12 and everything like that, everyone's playing in conference, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, but I, they keep saying that if there's a season, so it seems like there's still that benefit of the doubt. Like, it probably won't happen. 
which I hope college football happens, but I mean, it's a weird world we live in, but I mean, I would totally be for just straight up conference play for these teams. I think especially when it comes to teams, like I'll go a little bit off topic here with the conferences, but with the SEC, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, sports fans like you and me, we would love to watch strictly just SEC teams play SEC teams for a year. That's great. It's fun with me. I mean, it's serious competition, and then you could do that, and then you could get to the whole college football championship thing, and you make it, hopefully by the time the season's over, things can be a little bit died down. They can actually have out-of-conference play with the college football playoffs. If we have a season, I don't think it's more than eight games. I think you could go six to eight. I think you have your conference championships. But I don't think you and you have your New Year's six, you have the two semifinals, and then you have your uh, and then you have your other ones, Cotton Peach, Orange and Fiesta would be the four, and then the Rose and the Sugar would be the playoff semifinals this year. I just don't think there's any way that they can do other bowl games outside of the New Year's six. Yeah, no, definitely not. Which I mean, I don't think really anybody else wants to see that. This so year. while it I, sucks, I want to see the best of the best play. While it sucks, I mean. You, I mean, you're going to have the Rose Bowl and you're going to have the Sugar being the, the college football playoff national semifinals. And then you have your other four New Year's Six games. And then you have January 11th, 2021 is the national, is the planned national championship in Miami. Um, but to me, it's just, and that's a massive if. I just don't see the season starting on time. Not with the way things are going in this country right now. Um, I just... College football is different because it's not like the NBA who is in their bubble in Orlando or the National Hockey League who is in theirs in Toronto and and I believe it is Edmonton. Toronto and Edmonton are the hub cities for the National Hockey League. It's not like MLB who, Major League Baseball, who, I mean, they're going from stadium to stadium, but they're so, like, interlocked within their divisions that they're fine. And they're not like Major League Soccer who is confined into Orlando for their restart. You can't play college football until you have the college kids back on campus. So, I just... Unless they move it to spring, I don't see a college football season for 2020. But... And so many schools, too. So many schools have already announced that they're just not going to do... They're just going to do online for fall. Yeah, so... So, That's kind of how I feel about, you know... Like, obviously, I want the season, but I'm at a point from a person who is an Oregon and a Virginia Tech fan. um, Both of their games, which are Ohio State and Penn State, respectively, I would rather them not be played if they're not going to be in front of fans. Because Oregon, when it comes to Ohio State, they needed that home field crowd, that loud Austin Stadium crowd to give them a chance and Tech is responsibly known for the inner Sandman, the rowdiness, the decibel-breaking level crowds that they have at Lane against Penn State. Um, I just don't think the games would have been worth it if they weren't if Tech and Oregon didn't have their home field advantages against those big schools that they were welcoming into. But yeah, that's the, how I feel about the college thing. Um, it really gets to the point where I think high school football has a better chance of happening than college football, which 
that's a completely different related topic that we don't discuss here. But I just figured I'd throw my two cents in on that little debate. Um, speaking of college football, let's ask a question. If you had to pick a quarterback to lead to lead a team to a national championship this year, are you taking Trevor Lawrence or are you taking Justin Fields? Yeah, Trevor. That guy, I mean, he's already proved how well he plays in big-time games. Sure, he hasn't been as successful here recently, but, I mean, dude's stats don't lie. Dude's national championship wins don't lie. I just don't think Justin Fields has done enough, unless he just completely goes off this season. Which which is is possible if we have a season. Exactly. Um, Personally, in college, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. But if we're talking about rookies in the NFL – I'm taking Justin Fields, and I know I'm going to be like people are going to be like, oh no 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 no, and I'm like, Justin Fields is more what fits the NFL quarterback prototype now than what Trevor Lawrence does. And that's nothing against Trevor, but it's very hard for non very mobile quarterbacks to do much in the league anymore. You got to be able to move. Um, but college wise, yeah, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. Um, you can't really do a weapons debate because Clemson, Ohio State, they're both elite, elite, elite level college programs. I mean, they've dominated two-fourths of the college football playoff for the last three or four years. Um, but yeah, I'm taking Trevor. I think Clemson's better coached. He has the better running back, and he has better weapons. And I just think his arm talent is ridiculous. His arm strength is insane. There is that he makes are just off the charts. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, his accuracy is pretty good. Um, the only thing Justin Fields has ho- over him is the mobility, and the only thing I could see for Justin Fields is he plays a lot more competition than Trevor Lawrence does down there in the ACC, but we've been through this. It is not Clemson nor Trevor Lawrence's fault, but the ACC is hot garbage. Exactly. All right, let's get into a college football program. And I am sincerely hoping that Delby can be here with us next week so we can finally get into the Virginia Tech Hokies. But until then, um, there's a... In the SEC, even though we talked about it a few minutes ago, the SEC has all these elite-level programs. You know, the Texas A&Ms, the Auburns, the Bamas, the Floridas, the LSUs, the and, and the Georgias. And then you have the doormats. Specifically, one of the doormats is the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, Rocky Top, baby. Rocky Top. Who lost to Georgia State last year at home <laughs> and then proceeded to pay them $3 million. Don't see it. Um, but the thing is, if you look at the numbers, Tennessee's actually one of the best college football programs in history. People just forget. They have a six. A .634 winning percentage with 834 all-time wins, which I believe is like ninth all-time. So when you're top 10 all-time in the country and wins, you, that's something to me. You've obviously done something right. Um, they have claimed six national championships at their last coming in 1998, but they also they also themselves claim eight more, which are unclaimed. If you look at the NCAA stats, they have six. They acknowledge the six. Um, and they've won 16 conference titles, 13 SEC titles, I believe, but they haven't won an SEC title since since like the early 2000s. Um, they also 
have 464 wins at Neyland Stadium, which is their home venue, which is the most all-time of any program, um, actually. So they win at home. Um, their current athletic director is Phil is Philip Fulmer, who is actually their best coach. He coached there from 1992 to 2008. Tennessee went 152-52, so that's pretty good if you're asking me. But let's be real. The real golden years for Tennessee football was 1995 through 1998, which they had Peyton Manning from 95 through 97. Um, no season under 10 wins. They were 3-1 and one in bowl games, including a national championship and an undefeated season in 1998. They were 45-5 and five in that time frame, two SEC championships in 97 or 98. Um... They would also put up four more 10-win seasons after 98 through 2008 before Fulmer, uh, he was kind of pressured into retiring after a 5-7 and seven season. But since then, since 2008, Tennessee has been, how do I put this nicely, awful. They haven't posted one 10-win season in 12 years. Or 11, if you want to count it technically. 2015, 2016, and 2019 were the only good ones. 2016, they won nine games. 2015, they won eight. And last year, they won eight. Uh, they had, yeah, nine win seasons in 2015 to 2016 and eight in 2019. The others, they were really lucky to win seven. They had six seasons under 500. Most of those five and sevens, they even had a four and eight season in 2017, I believe, which was the worst in like 50 years them. They haven't won the SEC since 2007. They haven't even been to a conference title game since that year. But there is hope. They posted their first winning record last year since 2016. Um, they currently have a top in the 2021 uh, recruitment classes. They have like the number five, like the number five or six class in the country. So they have that going for them. Which, if you're recruiting that well in the SEC country, you're doing something right. Exactly. Um, and they're also in the SEC East, which means they don't got to deal with Alabama, Auburn, or LSU. While they do have Florida and Georgia to deal with, I mean, it's really only two. I mean, and while they don't have to deal with Bama directly, they do play them every year because they're rivals. Um, they got promise looking at their schedule. They got Oklahoma, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So I could see them going 8-4, and four, but I could see them where they might upset an Oklahoma or a Georgia or Florida because they're not going to beat Bama. Um could possibly win nine and sometimes maybe even ten. Maybe they'll come back and have their first ten win season since like 2007. Um, they finally have a positive outlook after being so bad for so long. I actually feel for Tennessee because, I mean, they do have this rich tradition. I mean, when you're top ten in all-time wins and you're number one in the country in home wins of all time kind of how it is with Tennessee. I'm a fan of them, actually. I don't really have anything against them. Um, oh, no, no, no. Battle of Bristol. Let's not talk about it. Okay. okay, you and me both know that if that game would have been later in the year, Tech would have swamped them. Dobbs was not a good quarterback, bro, and he walked right over us, man. Uh, right over us. Okay, Dobbs wasn't terrible. Oh, goodness. What is he doing now in the NFL? I don't care what he does now. We're talking about... He's playing for the Jaguars. He's like a four-string quarterback for the Jaguars now, something like that. I honestly don't know what he's doing. But he he wasn't great in college, but he was serviceful. But, yeah, Tennessee is just one of those teams where 
it's either you like them or you don't. I mean, with me, I don't really have a, besides the game against Virginia Tech, obviously, where we oh, lost. Also, whoever decided to put a football game on a NASCAR track, let's not do that again. Dude, that was awesome. What are you talking about? That it was, was awesome, but as from a fan perspective, if you were there, why would you pay tickets if you can't get up front? Because... Yeah, that's true. It definitely wasn't a good game to be there. But, I don't know. With Tennessee, like, people always forget that Lily, one of the best, arguably, and you can debate this all you want to, but arguably one of the best college football players came out of Tennessee, which was Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was, I mean, we thought he was smart as crap in the NFL. He was just as smart and dissected offenses just as good, just as well with Tennessee. I mean, the dude was amazing. Um, But, I mean... I think they had promise. They're all, like you said with the recruiting class. Since they have just like a big history, like a big broad history of being successful, having a successful program, you're gonna get the recruits still. That's why you see these like old like school SEC schools, you know, kind of still getting heavy recruits just because that's just the way the world works. I mean, people want to go to the big name schools, you want to go to the big facilities, which I mean, I'll, I'll do the same thing. But, so, like, with Tennessee, they're going to have that good recruiting class. I think they could do well. Who's their quarterback this year, Figgy? Do you know? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know who I should have looked at that. But, I mean, depending on who their quarterback is, I mean, that really, that really the, it seems like that plays a big role in Tennessee's success. Um, I think they can get a good quarterback in there. I think they can do well. But, like you said, maybe eight games. I don't think they'll beat the Alabamas, obviously. They could upset the Georgias or Floridas. So, I mean, I never really had a problem with them. I think they've had, like you said, their home field advantage is known. I mean, we know all about home field advantage as well, but they they do too. Um, But, I mean, they're a team that I feel like they're kind of always in the hunt every year. You know, like they're always a team, like preseason, that like they could be that potential team that's going to break through. You know, like guys like them, like the Oklahomas – Jerry in Florida, Gwar- Georgia. Um, Jarrett Guarantano is their starting quarterback. Okay. That's, you know what class they, he is? Was he a freshman? Um, not sure, um, but they also had JT Shroud and Brian Moyer all come back from last year because they flip-flopped so much a quarterback last year, and they also have a freshman mm-hmm. Harrison Bailey also coming in. So... Um, yeah, it's kind of a mess at quarterback down there too. So you never, you, you don't want to have a mess at quarterback going into a season. Yeah. You want a clear guy, which let's be fair. I mean, Tech really hasn't had a clear guy since Gerard Evans. So they finally got one now. So I'm a massive fan of Hendon Hooker, but we'll we'll of course talk about Tech later. Quincy, dude, Quincy. Man can't throw. Dude, come on, QP3, come on, dude. Um, But, yeah, I I personally think Tennessee will be fine. I just – I think they should, honestly, get out of the SEC. (laughs) Like, like, and, yeah, you're going to have a top recruiting class, but even if you do get out of the SEC, just say for the sake they do, they're going to face LSU or Auburn or Alabama, and – They've already shown they can't beat Alabama in the regular season, and I don't know. I just don't think the SEC is the right place for them. 
but it's kind of Tennessee football. Um, hopefully next week will be Virginia Tech, but if it's not, Penn State. So it'll be Penn State, Virginia Tech. We'll we'll see. Let's just go on to a, another thing, and it, it just curates me that there's a team in the NFL that this year. And I and we've talked about it vaguely on a couple of other podcasts, but I kind of want to get into it here for a second. Everyone wants to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the AFC West, right? I'm a massive fan of the Denver Broncos and what they've done. Drew Locke, let's go. Drew Locke, who I've said is a dark horse MVP candidate, and I am 100% serious when I say that. Dude's a stud. Uh, then you go out and get the draft's best receiver, Jerry Judy, at 15. You go out and get K.J. Hamler from Penn State. You also you, – and that and that's added to Cortland Sutton. You have Noah Fant there too. And then it's the Broncos. You don't got to worry about their defense. The, the, the defense will be there. The Vaughn Millers and the Bradley Chubbs and the Justin Simmons and all they got there. Sorry, guys, I did not mean to do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm also looking at Denver. And they also have a loaded backfield now because they've got Royce Freeman. They've got Melvin Gordon, who they signed over from the Chargers. And they also have uh... – wow, I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's he's an undrafted rookie running back, and I cannot remember his name to save my life right now. But, yeah, I think Denver – now, let's be real. People can say Denver might win the AFC West just due to Kansas City's schedules. If Kansas City's healthy, they're going to win that division. Let's not – let's not be kidding ourselves here. But, to me, the Broncos are going to make the playoffs, and they're going to make it easily. I see them winning 10 games at minimum, 11, and I could even see them – being a 12-win team, if all goes right, of course. But I think Drew Luck, I think the world of the dude. Um, I think John Elway finally got his head out of his you-know-what and finally decided to go get a quarterback that's not six yep. feet six tall. Um, no clear secret, I'm not a fan of the Broncos organization after the way they, sh- after the way they showed their butts after the Super Bowl and during the 2016 game. But um, I think they might finally have something here for the first time since that Super Bowl because they haven't done anything since. Dude, me, I, dude, I like Rod. Like he just like, just, like he just like, just looks like a quarterback in every way. Like way like like composes himself. Dude, definitely seems like he can be a winner. With Melvin Gordon, having him say that, like, the offense, dude's charismatic, man. Like, the guy can run the freaking football. I think he's going to be a good addition. Is Keenan Allen? Keenan, no, 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 why not say Keenan Allen? Come on, Biggie, dude. I got to get my head out of the gutter, bro. Yeah, but, um, yeah, like you said, though, I, I can't think of that running back, though, dude. That's really that's really bothering me to keep thinking about that. Like, undrafted running back. I can't think of him. But either way, I think that he has a lot of like, good players surrounding him. So I think he could do well. I think they're going to be that team that they're going to be Phillip like, Lindsay. holy crap. Philip Lindsay. Yes, Philip Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, I don't know why. I can't remember that. He's on Madden. Like, I pull him like every other week at Madden. But, um, 
yeah, I think they could do well, though. Uh, Denver's one of those teams I haven't really had a problem with. I mean, I'm sure you do, obviously, which makes sense. I understandably you should. Oh no, but like with Tebow, like when they had Tebow on the team, I, I like the, I like to watch them play. But I mean, I, I think they could do well. I think they're going to be that team where like, it's going to be like, holy crap, they have 12 wins. How did that happen? But I think they could easily be that dark horse team, and like you said, Drew Lock could be that dark horse MVP. I mean. Dude's got a ton of upside, I believe. I, I, I think you just want to see it play. Like I said, dude, there's so many storylines that like are going into this season that I just want to see play out. Like I want there to be a season. Like this has been like one of the biggest off seasons I think in NFL history, minus the whole Corona part. Just with free agency, with everything like that, with the team, the players that have gone to the teams. Like, I don't know. I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the teams like the Broncos with Drew Locke. I think there could be a lot of dark horse teams you're going to see coming out of this. And there's also a T. There's also something. Uh, in the next coming days, the uh, the NFL will set the deadline for franchise tagged players to sign long-term deals. And I'll be looking at it from an outsider point of view. I think Dallas is perfectly okay with having Dak play on this one-year franchise tag. I don't think... They have any indication of signing him long-term right now. And that's not due to the fact they don't want him there. I just think they're still too far apart on the four-year, five-year thing. And he's under contract. And you might as well just play the season out, have no tension, just being able to play with clear head, not thinking about anything. He's under contract for $31.5 million. There is something that came out the other day uh, earlier about Dalvin Cook, though, um, that him and the Vikings are starting to come together on some terms, um, which I hope they do for Dalvin Cook's sake. I mean, I think it's important for Minnesota. And they talked about this um, on First Take today, I believe. I watch way too many First Take and get up videos. Uh, um, but it's the payment of running uh, – it's just the payment nowadays of running backs. But Dalvin Cook's production on the field last year, and we talked about this a couple podcasts ago, the man deserves the money. If he has another season like he did last year. Like, yeah, he's got the injury concerns. But if you look at the running backs that are going to get paid next, and that would be Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley and Dalvin Cook. But it's more Saquon and De- and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is and Saquon, and Carl's talked about this, the running back position is easily the most replaceable position in the NFL. But Derrick Henry is a stud. I just don't know if he can keep it up. Saquon Barkley is, I'll be real with you, and this is no offense to Zeke, but Saquon is probably the only back I will take as an argument to McCaffrey in terms of best running back in the league. Yeah, Saquon's one of those players where he'll score a big touchdown and not be productive for the next like six or seven carries. Yeah, Come but on it's now. Saquon. The dude's, uh... the dude's special. Oh, I'm not, I just can't wait to see Zeke. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's nothing against Zeke. I think the world is Zeke, but um, yeah, I think when it comes and the and the market's still gonna rise, and McCaffrey is the top of the market right now with the 16 million. But I think Saquon gets around that, and I think Derrick Henry gets around that. But if you have this special talent at running back, and, like, Zeke is a special talent, McCaffrey is, Saquon is, Derrick Henry is, especially Derrick Henry. He was a second-round pick, as was Dalvin Cook. 
I just think they demand so much money on the market because they're once-in-a-generational type backs. It's going to get to a point where teams are going to have to part with once-in-a-generational type backs because the position is so replaceable. Like, you... That's just kind of how I feel about the running back payment kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just tough because, like, running back is one of the most important positions on the field. I've already talked about this before. You establish a good running game, you're going to win the games. That's just the way it works. Look at the Patriots. They've had good success in the run game with the Super Bowls they've won. Look at the stats of the games. Um, I think it is a replaceable position nowadays. I just feel like you like. I mean, you say once in generational talents, and I agree. Zeke, Saquon, CMC, those kind of guys are. Dalvin Cook, they are. A lot of other guys, too. But those guys, I feel like you see them coming out of the draft every year from these big-time Power 5 schools. Like, it just seems like there's going to, like, continue to have guys produce. Like, Najee Harris, he'll probably come out and play well in the NFL. Uh, crap, Clemson, Clemson's running back. Uh, uh, Travis Etienne. Yes, Etienne. Yeah, yeah dude, he's gonna play. He's he's gonna be a stud. Jonathan Taylor. He's probably gonna he's be the next stud NBA. running back. That's uh, gonna be a sleeper. Uh, and there's also J.K. Dobbins, who unfairly went to the Ravens. Exactly, but I mean, you see these running backs. I just don't see like, the market's gonna continue to rise. And like you said, these teams are gonna have to part ways with these running backs, but these once in a generational talents because of the market, but. I mean, I think running backs, they should try to get their money. They've been underpaid for a lot of years. I've said it before. They've been underpaid for many years, actually. They're probably one of the most underpaid positional players, I believe. I mean, they're one of the most important, like I said. But, I don't know. I think you'll see a lot of big names in free agency this next year with running backs, I think. A lot of big name running backs, just because, once again, the market, the way it's set up. Um, So, I don't know. And you know, honestly, like, looking at some of these backs, like we've mentioned, and like, and then there's the guys that, you know, want to be paid, but they don't want to get paid as much, like, you, and then you have Mostert, San Francisco's star back from this past year's playoff run, requested a trade the other day, because he knows he's not going to get the money that he wants in San Francisco, because their backfield is so loaded. Their defense is starting to get a little loaded, too. I mean, yeah, and they traded Buck, uh... They traded Buckner to Indy, but then they drafted Kentlaw to replace him just right like that. It's kind of how I feel about that. Um, and you said earlier about, you know, Travis Kelsey. Mahomes having Travis Kelsey is arguably the best tight end in the league, which I get that. But to me, it's George Kittle, and we talked about this. Oh, dude, Kittle's oh, – I agree with you. I, yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, it's no offense to Jimmy G. I like the man, but he's not Mahomes. No, no. I mean, he basically gets paid to hand the ball off half the time, so. And that was shown in the Super Bowl. Yep. Same thing with Ryan Tannehill. Going to pay a man $100 million just to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 30 times a game. <laughs> um, one more thing, it's like. Like you've been saying, I'm just ready to play. Like, I'm trying to see it, dude. I'm trying to see it. Personally, I want like, football, dude. I need it. Here's, I need it here's back. my thing, and this is how I view my fa- my fandom as a Panthers fan right now. Is I know it's gonna be rough, but the Panthers are 
the Panthers are still my boys. And I just want to see this new staff, this new team, these new systems. Basically, this entire new team that I haven't seen a new addition of this team in nine years get on the field in the regular season against Vegas and just see what it is with Teddy and McCaffrey in the new system and uh, DJ and Curtis and Robbie and our uh, young defense. I just want to see against Vegas before we have to go against Brady the following week, and i got to deal with that twice a year now. <laughs> um, I'm, also very, okay. I'm also very excited to see Cam and New England, though. Um, Dude, he announced you have to see his jersey. Yeah, number one. jersey man. number one, baby. Number one. Yeah, I'm excited for him. Um, it pains me to see him in the Patriots, uh, but, I mean, it is what it is. But I'm excited for him. Um, he's going to get the starting job over Jared Stedham, barring another injury. Let's not fool ourselves. Hey, I agree, bro. What was that? <laughs> that's, the, that's the cam, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> um. <laughs> dude, dude, okay. No, 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 no. You, you better tell them what exactly you just did. <laughs> you cannot bring back those memories, Biggie. Uh. Back to Thanksgiving, the year Carolina went to the Super Bowl. Cam did this little scuba dance in the end zone after we put up another touchdown goodness to go up by 30. Gracious. And I, just I love Cam, but goodness gracious. What do you got to do? And that's when they hurt Romo. That's when they broke Romo finally. Y'all broke my quarterback. Okay, personally, personally, Romo was at the end of his career anyway, and you know it. Um, oh come on, man! That was when he finally had talent. Yeah, and then he kept getting hurt. It's not my uh, fault. Yeah, I know. It's not. He, it's not my fault. You know how I feel about Romo. He's got a it, special place in my heart. It's not my fault. He had a glass collarbone. Yeah, you can't help that. You can't help that. Yeah, um, yeah, man. I'm just excited. Um, I'm ready to see Kansas City defend the crown. I'm ready to see. Brady and Tampa. I'm ready to see Cam in New England. I'm ready to see if if all the issues the Cowboys have had over the past ten years were. You're gonna see if they're gonna have arguably the best wide receiving core in the league. Is that what you're about no, to say? No, I was gonna say let's see if all their their average mediocrity was because of Jason Garrett. I'm ready yes. to see if it's if that was actually the case. So here's with me. Because, I, like I said, you're very excited about your Panthers, dude. I'm excited to see how they're going to play. With the Cowboys, you know me. I'm not going to be one of those basic Cowboys fans. We're going to win the Super Bowl every year. I'm not going to do that to you. I have Now, there have been years I've been confident. I would say it, but well, I don't see, think I've ever been part to do that. This year, thing, though, here's the thing, like I though. said. Like, okay. Here's the thing, though. There's a difference between being confident that – you might have the potential to get there. Exactly. But there's another difference between just coming out and saying after average season, after average season, after average season, even when y'all got to the playoffs, y'all didn't win a game, and the next year would be, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're going to the Super Bowl. How about you get to the conference title game first before you talk about Super Bowls? Like, Hey, listen here. Hey, we beat... Well, we beat the Seahawks, so we're starting to climb a little bit in the playoff yeah. pool. So, but, hey. I, I, of course, do respect that you're one of those, like, look, if you look at a team and you think they have a chance to get to the Super Bowl, that's all fine and dandy. But most Cowboy fans say it year 
after year after year after year, and that's why half of this country hates the Dallas Cowboy fan base. As they should, because a lot of people would do that. But with me, dude, like, here's my thing. Me being a fan, looking at how Jerry Jones has kind of pieced things together, if there's one critique I've had about Jerry from the past few years besides the whole coaching ordeal, that's the next best thing I'm going to talk, talk about that I'm excited about. But the fact that Jerry's been very, very, like, he doesn't take big chances in the draft. He hasn't taken big chances here in the draft in the past years. This year, now that I saw that he went and took the best player on the board with C.D. Lamb, now that I saw he had the confidence to do that, instead of doing some security blanket like a D-tackle, something like that, offensive lineman, he went with that. And I think we have all the pieces this year, though. I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to say we're going to win the Super Bowl, but I think we can make a run and we should be a double-digit team, winning team. With our running back with Zeke, if he can play better this year, I mean, the receiving, you and I are going to talk about it a lot, with Gallup, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb now. I mean, it's going to be crazy to watch with Cooper getting a lot more single coverage looks. Um, I'm also excited to see CeeDee Lamb. He's probably going to be one of my favorite players to watch the coming season. Then you got Dak, who finally isn't worried about having to think about a contract behind his ear. He's not necessarily having to play with that chip on his shoulder like he's had, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I think he finally can have confidence to know that his team and his faculty believes in him. So, I don't know. In the defense, I mean, if Van Der can stay healthy, I mean, we could have one of the best linebacking cores. I know I keep saying things like that, but... I mean, when we play well, we do the thing. That's the problem. We just It seems like one little thing falls apart with us each year that causes us to really fall apart. But this year, I just, like you said, I want to see your Panthers play. I want to see my boys play. I want to see Delaware's Eagles play even. I'll even say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for, you know, since they're not here, I'll talk about theirs too. Um, when it comes to, what's up, Delby, uh, to the Eagles, um, and we've talked about this, and we've had arguments about this, but it, it, it's literally the truth at this point. The Eagles' success is primed on two things. One, their ability to keep their skilled players healthy. And if Carson Wentz can play another full season without injuries, and I know you say the playoff game, but he started off 16 regular season games last year. so Yeah, yeah. Um, but if they can stay semi-healthy, the Eagles are going to be right up there with Dallas in the in the NFC East, just like it has been for the past three to four years. Um, yeah, I you have the when and the Eagles took Jalen Rager out of TCU and they desperately needed weapons. They've got Miles Sanders, who I think is one of the most underrated backs coming into this year. Um, their defense. If they did the now they did go and address their corner need when they went out and got Darius Slay from Detroit, um, and then they then obviously the pick of Jalen Hurts, which I think was a good smart backup pick, because honestly, even if you look at Dallas too, you got to have a somewhat good backup quarterback that can come in if your quarterback gets hurt or in this year's case gets diagnosed with COVID, that can come in, produce well and win you games. So. Yeah, I think the Eagles are another team that could win 10-11 games. I think the Cowboys and Eagles are going to split. I think the division is going to come down to Week 16 just like it did a year ago. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, these people with the podcast... I can't wait for, I can't wait for the podcast. These people listening to this podcast are not prepared for the previous no, reactions. Y'all don't understand. 
I'm telling y'all, y'all are not prepared for this. There will be a viewer discretion is advised before this. But that's all I'll say about that, because I'm going to save that for week eight, when y'all really get to see Delby and Buddha go at each other. Um, as far as it goes... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he's going to roast you for that when he listens to this. Um, he, uh, as far as Carl's team goes, the Colts, uh, they've got the highest ceiling in the AFC South, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we've talked about, I think, the Tennessee Titans have a massive regression. I don't even think they went eight games. Um... The Houston Texans will fall off a little bit with trading Hopkins we've talked about. We don't need to talk about the Jags. They are massively irrelevant yeah. and have a chance to not win a single game. As far as the Colts go, they've they they of course their biggest move of the offseason or their two was trading for DeForest Buckner and bringing in Phillip Rivers. If Phillip Rivers can keep his turnover differential down, I think the Colts will easily win the AFC South. They brought in Jonathan Taylor in the draft. They brought in Michael Michael Pittman, excuse me, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC in the draft. They're really solid on defense. They got arguably the best offensive line in the league. They have the best offensive line in the league. Being a Cowboys fan, I whoa, like I was not expecting that. Dude, have you seen Quentin Nelson, dude? Of play? course, I have. He's probably one of the best. He's probably one of the best guards I've ever. Which seen I respect you for life. saying that and not just being biased. Which I personally think it's between Dallas. No, and I, no. Here's the thing, Biggie. Here's the thing. I'll I'll give the Colts it all day long. The only time I'll ever say Dallas has the best offensive line is when they are 100 percent healthy. That is when Tyron Smith is 100 percent healthy. When Tyron Smith is 100 percent healthy, he is the best tackle in the league. I don't care what B, I don't care what Delby says with Jason Peters. He can say all he wants to. I mean, with guards, I get it. The Colts have us with the guards, Quentin Nelson, like I said. But tackles, Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith. I mean, come on. Fair. But um, Zach Martin, hey. But yeah, um, Colts obviously, arguably, have the best line in the league. Quentin Nelson is a bad, bad sob. Um, yes, he is. And then, you know, you got Phillip Rivers and you got a reliable backup with Jacoby Brissett. I have nothing against Brissett. He's just a – he's not a starter. He's a reliable backup. Um, I, think, I think he's done well in games, though, where he's been the starter. Oh, yeah. I think he's proven he could be a good And then the Colts also brought in – I believe it was Jacob Eason out of Washington this past in this draft. Yeah. So they've got that, too. Um like I said, I think if Rivers can stay healthy, which he's really shown no problem with, and I think if he turns down the interceptions, I think the Colts will easily win the AFC South, and I mean easily. They're, they're most talented. Um, I just, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about all our teams. Um, I'll go in the mind since we haven't really done it. Um, it's a very, very low ceiling. I don't expect much. You got a lot to look forward to, though. You know what I mean? Like I said, I've got a lot to look forward to because this is the most different this team has looked in over a decade. Um, but Cam's not no longer there. Greg Olson's not there. Luke Keekley retired. Thomas Davis isn't there anymore. Um, they Let's see. James Bradbury went to New York. Mario Addison went to Buffalo. Uh, our two starting defensive tackles both went to Dallas. Um, Don Terry Poe and Gerald McCoy, who were the lead heads of the league's worst run defense. So have fun with that, Let's by the way. Let's go! Let's go! Um, so it's all new. They, uh, they drafted Derek Brown out of Auburn. They brought in Yatir Gross-Matos out of Penn State. They went all defense in this draft. Um, 
And it's to me, it's Shaq Thompson's time to shine. The man has been behind Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley for so long. He's the linebacker there now. Um, as far as the corners go, Dante Jackson is not a number one corner, and if they put him at number one corner, it's going to be a problem when you're playing in the same division with Mike Evans and with Chris Godwin and with Gronk now and Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas and Julio and Calvin Ridley. I mean, uh, th- uh, look, the defense, they're going to improve a little bit from last year, but they're not going to be good. They're going to be bad. They're too young. Um, there is a bright spot. I think Brian Burns and Derek Brown are the bright spots, Derek Brown being our rookie. Um, Brian Burns finally not being on Gunner and being back where he's supposed to be. Uh, I think he'll have another breakout season. I think he'll finally just come out and uh, put out what he needs to do. Um, then you have the kicking situation. Uh, we have two kickers. Graham Gano, who's hasn't kicked in about over a year and a half at this rate, coming off a uh, knee, coming off a leg fracture, actually. Uh, and then you have a guy who kicked for us last year and did pretty well except for one game, and that would be Joey Sly. Um, <laughs> look, I know Gano uh, has more experience, but he does have his inaccuracy issues, and Joey has them too. He was awful in that game against New Orleans last year down in the yeah, dome. Joey's got a leg, dude. Joey's like, got a leg. I would personally like to keep Joey just because brand, bro. one – He's a lot more cheaper, and he's younger. I would rather us let Gano just kind of walk and let's keep Joey in for that rank. And then you have, you know, the whole quarterback situation with, you know, Cam leaving and then bringing in Teddy Bridgewater on a $62 million deal. Um, let's stop talking about that there, right? But Teddy, I mean, look. And this is from I a lot of rated, us. Biggie. Come on, dude. go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. This is from a lot of us Panther fans. We have nothing against Teddy. We're just still bitter over the way the camp situation was handled. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like Teddy. I just don't. And not that I say I don't think he lasts in Carolina due to his production. I just don't think he lasts because he's going to be on the sideline. He's behind one of the league's worst offensive lines that got Cam Newton hurt, who's twice as big as he, Teddy is. Um. But I hope he does well. He's still my quarterback, so obviously I'm still going to support him. I mean, I, of course, have his jersey hanging in the closet. Um, but it's not like this team doesn't have weapons, and they do. But they're in the NFC South, which doesn't help matters. They're in the NFC, which also doesn't help matters. And they're just very, very, very young. They're crazy young. This new staff is pretty much half never coached in the NFL before. So that's kind of where I think it goes with Carolina. I think they win three to five games. I could even see them going three and 13. Um, and since you played offensive line in uh, high school, and we, we, we talked about the lines a little bit, I want to talk one last thing before we head off. I want to talk about an offensive tackle prospect that would be coming out in the 2021 draft who is being labeled as generational and that is Oregon offensive tackle Panay Sewell. This dude is a monster. He's big. He's agile. He plays left tackle, which is a need for over 75% of the NFL. He started over 20 games, 23-24, has never committed a holding penalty. 
for an for, for a left tackle rocking blindside, that's incredibly difficult. That's incredible. That that's nearly impossible to do. Um, he has one penalty his entire career, and it was a bogus false start. He's only allowed one sack his entire career, and that was his first game as a true freshman. <coughs> um, he is projected to go in the top three uh, next year with Trevor Lawrence and whoever you want to put there, Justin Fields, Micah Parsons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's generational. I would love to have him in Carolina. We've had a left tackle issue ever since Jordan Gross, but there are a lot of teams. I just don't think whoever has second overall next year passes on Panay Sewell. And I could see a situation where a team that is set at quarterback is sitting there at one and doesn't have to take Trevor because they're set at quarterback and would take Sewell number one overall because they need offensive line help. See, and you usually can find offensive linemen in second or third rounds that will produce for you. But if you want elite offensive linemen, you take them in the first. No, this is different. You take them in the first. Panay Sewell is different. Offensive linemen don't go in top three unless they're insanely good. Um, Here's my thing. He's ridiculous. Or here, I'll let you go ahead and continue. Then I'll, I'll go ahead and give you my piece. But you got something else? He he's ridiculous, man. And I and I know a, a lot of people know his name, but not a lot of people have seen him play because he plays in the Pac-12 and on the West Coast, and everybody on the East Coast is asleep mostly by the time their games come on. But <laughs> I mean, and against Auburn in the opener last year and an SEC defense, he was making Derek Brown and a couple of other Auburn's elite defensive linemen look like scrubs. I, he's insane. And then you have Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl who have really good pass rushers. Nothing. I mean, I've never seen a man that big move so fast. I just He's the best offensive lineman in the country. He won the Outland Trophy last year, actually, to solidify that. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a Duck fan. I'm saying this because if you go watch his highlight film, you will see the best lineman in the country, and you will see why he's going to be a top three pick. The thing about him is it's not even highlight film for him. It's just film. Every single play that you want to watch. If if any offensive tackle at any level wants to see how to be – like basically unstoppable in the tackle position. Go watch, watch his film. Go, Go watch, watch his film. Like you said, the, his size and the way left tackle is one of the toughest positions in the NFL to play. NFL is at as a rate right is at a rate right now. Time getting to the quarterback is at an all time high. With like it's I can't even tell you it's probably like not even a second anymore or like a second and a half. It's insane. They're getting to the quarterback quick. You had these guys, you got like the Bosa brothers. You had J.J. Watt, like for the, for the past few years. All the elite pass rushers, if you get a guy like him on your team, you can use him anywhere. Um, More specifically, use him at that left tackle position or against the, the pass rushers because they like to move pass rushers around with the tackles. All right, just move it around with, the, with those pass rushers. You're not gonna you're not gonna see those sacks. That's those sacks are gonna decrease. Anytime a quarterback can decrease the sacks, his confidence goes up and he plays better. That's just the way it is. You get a guy like him, like I like I said, use it anywhere. Even at a pulling pulling guard position, you can use him if you want to. If you already have a veteran tackles if you want that. But there there's like if you really just wanna see a generational talent, like this, it, because offensive linemen like that, they, they're hard to come by. Yeah. You see the guys that come out of Wisconsin, you know those kind of players. Uh, uh, Notre Dame is a good 
Notre Dame. Notre Dame yeah, produces course. a lot. See, Quentin Nelson yeah, and Zach Martin. Yeah, you see Martin. guys like that. Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin are the big Yeah, team. Zach Martin. Yeah, of course. But, like, uh, those teams, those players, they're excellent players. They're Pro Bowl caliber players. This dude, if you put him in a position, you're not going to see your quarterback getting pressured. You're not going to see a quarterback getting stacked. Just so you're you not, know, but, I'm looking at his awards and stuff right now because I just pulled him up. He was the AP Pac-12 Co-Offensive Player of the Year as an offensive lineman. Offensive lineman. Dude, that's like an offensive lineman's dream, dude. You know what, how good he has to be? Yeah. Like, telling and, you, uh, and anyone who that don't doesn't know, see him play. Obviously, I have a lot more insight on this than a lot of people. For people that don't know, the Pac-12 has talent off the board out there. Like, oh, also, that one sack thing. That's one sack over 1,300 snaps. Oregon is 17-3 and three over the last two years when he's in the starting lineup. I'm not even going to name all these first teams. He was the pro football focus. PFF, Pac-12 Player of the Year. No coincidence, the PFF named him the Pac-12 Player of the Year last year. Um, he, he's, he's an unanimous first-team All-American. Um, it's... Ridiculous. Um, and then, I mean, he was all freshman in his freshman year. I mean, like you said, if any offensive lineman wants to see how to play the damn position, go watch Panay Sewell's highlight or tape. Like, it's crazy. Oh, and just to add on to the fact, we talked about his agility. He's six foot six, 330 pounds. Fullback. I want to see him at fullback. I wouldn't surprise to see somebody put him at fullback in the league when he gets there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm not even against it if he does it. Hey, one, I think for a one-yard line, I'd do it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Um, since you being a former lineman, I kind of figured you would be a, a massive fan of the dude. Yeah, dude, big dude. I've been watching him since his freshman year, like, ah, uh, dude, just that, like that kind of dude. The way he grades out. Every game, just the way he uses his hands. Most guys in college, that's their problem. They don't understand. It's a hand battle more than everything at the tackle position. You got guys coming at you full speed. There's only multiple things you can do. You got to know how to balance your weight, and you also got to know how to use your hands. You got to use your hands, it's over with. Yeah. And he wins. And the way he can get underneath guys, it's just insane. His leverage for how big he is, the way he gets so low, it's, it's you can't beat it. He's going to make a lot of money. A lot of money when he goes to the NFL. Oh, that's he's, all. I got he's going to say. gonna be a top three pick, and he's going to be a blindside monster for. I mean, I'm serious. If there's a team that somehow gets the number one overall pick that has a set, quarterback, I wouldn't surprise if they got him a set quarterback, and that would feel comfortable with that quarterback not taking Trevor at one. Panay Sewell could go number one on the board, and I'm not Easy. joking. Easy. Um, but yeah, that's Panay Sewell, and that's going to do it for us today, an hour and 20 minutes. Holy crap. <laughs> yes, sir. We've gone the longest yes, sir. Here. Always a good time. Um, next week, um, if we have everybody back, uh, Carl will be talking about the life for the Los Angeles Chargers after Phillip Rivers. If we have Delby here, he will be talking about something about the New York Giants, um, <laughs> Me and Buddha will have new topics. Um, 
And if all NFLB is here, we will finally talk about Virginia Tech, which will more than likely be going half an hour. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and obviously our YouTube channel at Boys to Podcast. Um, yeah, you can follow us there. Uh, podcast will be up later tonight on Spotify and YouTube for episode six. This is Ian. That's Buddha. We will see you guys next week. Out. Yes, sir. Catch you later, boys.